thank you, Sammy, and to each who's gotten a chance to participate in the service. I sure do appreciate it. I agree with what uh, Pastor John said this morning. It's such an encouragement to see other people involved in the work of the Lord, and had some wonderful examples of that here in this service tonight, both up here and those working behind the scenes, and uh, even in the choir practice. That was an encouragement to me. I was just upstairs uh, working on the sound and just different things like that, but to see so many come out for the uh, first choir practice back and uh, hear the excitement to be back doing choir. I did hear a couple of comments that... Uh, those of you who haven't been singing nearly that much or in the choir lately, uh, your voices are struggling a little bit afterward, and uh, I can relate to that. Uh, it's, uh, I get to preach fairly regularly, so it doesn't usually get me while I'm preaching, but uh, when I was a classroom teacher, that first day of school, man, I couldn't, uh, I see at least one teacher nodding her head, I, I couldn't talk about uh, much of anything beyond lunch, and my back hurt. Just standing still or writing on a chalkboard, it was uh, amazingly exhausting. So anyway, been good to be here today. do want to wish my daughter Addison a happy sixth birthday. Enjoyed getting to celebrate her birthday this weekend and uh, even some today and enjoying that. But glad to be here. Grateful for the opportunity to preach the word. Looking at a message entitled, How to Be in the Right Place at the Right Time. So I thought I'd start out in true youth pastor fashion with a couple of very serious examples of being in the right place at the right time. you got to love Google. You can find of all sorts of things like Moon Street, where it's pointing right to the moon, so that photographer in the right place at the right time, and uh, that moth who is very excited to have Moth Day. All mothers might need to feel a little gypped or slighted, but uh, that moth is getting to be in the right place at the right time to celebrate Moth Day. For those of you who don't get it, um, like my wife apparently, um, that says Mother's Day and the moth's wing is covering the ers part. Anyway, the rest of the message hopefully will make more sense, but just wanted to look at a couple things there. Really, as we look at this idea of being in the right place at the right time spiritually, we're all there. Because it's not about us, it's about God. We are all in a place where we can make a decision spiritually, all in a place where we can grow spiritually, and all in a place where we can be used by God in some amazing ways spiritually. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians in just a moment. We'll read a few verses now and then dig farther back in the chapter throughout the message. But some of these people thought it was this criteria or that criteria that put them in the right place to be used by God, and it wasn't. So let's take a look both at what it is and what it isn't. The Corinthians, like so many today as well, they were looking to human characteristics as the secret to spiritual success. These Christians in the Corinthian church had accepted God's grace alone for salvation, but were now dividing themselves over what human qualification was best, or which ones were best for accomplishing the work that only God could do. We're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and just read a few verses for now. It says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, Verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 1 Corinthians 1, great chapter, encourage you to read it straight through, not that long at all, but read it straight through later. But it's all about how God uses the, quote, foolish message of the cross. Now, we know it's not foolish, but that's how many outsiders see it. But how God uses the foolish message of the cross, not worldly wisdom, to save the weak, the rejected, the poor, ultimately anyone who's gotten out of their own way enough to realize that they need him. 
If any good was going to come in and through the lives of the individuals and this whole church as a whole in Corinth there, it was going to have to be God doing it, not anything man-made like they thought. It was God who had saved them and God who wanted to use them in his work for his glory. But they had started to think it was about having nothing but the most eloquent of speakers, and they really divided over what that meant even. And very divided, we'll look at in just a moment, over this human qualification and even wanting to, to tone down the necessity of the cross because that, was, that was, seemed foolish and that just seemed harsh and a lot of the same types of issues we run into now where people want to make the message of the gospel more palatable to outsiders. But there's only one source of ultimate truth and that is God and his word. We don't need to water it down. Won't get anywhere if we dilute it. But unfortunately, that's what they were trying to do. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we'll be tempted to do. To have confidence in nothing but God and his unmerited grace given to unworthy sinners so that God gets all the glory. That was their opportunity. God is our confidence for our salvation, our confidence for daily life, our confident hope for everyone around us that we so desperately want to see impacted and changed by God as well. It's never been about our being good enough. I'm grateful for that always been about God being good enough. And until he stops being good enough, which he never will, we have no excuse to stop allowing him to use us to work in our lives and to work through our lives. It's easy to think, oh, if I, if I had enough, then I'd be willing to give it to God. Or if I were good enough, humanly speaking, whatever that means to you, then I'd give what I have to God. But God's looking for people who are simply willing to allow him to work in their lives, and allow him to use their lives, simple as they might be, to impact others. <laughs> Yesterday, we got to go to a trampoline park in Harrisonburg, Valley Jump Park. It was a lot of fun. Good trampoline park if you've never been. And uh, some of you adults without children at home are thinking, why would I go to a trampoline park? Hey, no judgment. If you need to go have a good time, you enjoy it. But uh, we got to meet up with uh, my parents, the girls' grandma and grandpa, celebrating Brooklyn's birthday back in January and Addison's birthday today. And I uh, really had a good time there. But it amazes me, whether we're at a playground or uh, a trampoline, park or wherever, if Brooklyn can find a younger child that she can help, she would rather help that younger child than play on her own and do what she wants to do. She loves it. Well, she met up with children I've never met, but she met up with this sweet little autistic boy around her age or maybe just a little younger and just did a great job of playing with him and encouraging him. At one point, Apparently, the little boy was trying to do some jump off of something or bounce just right, and I guess it wasn't going well. Brooklyn was encouraging him. Well, she came over and was talking to us, and she described him as a good trier. Apparently, he had to keep working at it, and he did. Maybe he wasn't getting it just right. Maybe he didn't have as much talent as somebody else on a trampoline. Neither do I, but I have fun falling. It's okay. But I love Brooklyn's description of this sweet little guy as a good trier. God wants to change the world through some good triers. We may not have a lot to offer him, but if we're willing to let him use whatever we have, whether that's a lot or a little, and just be a good trier, just say, hey, God, I might not have it all figured out. I may be weak. I may not be the most eloquent. I may not be the most experienced. I may not be the most anything, but you are enough. And we'll just say, hey, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm willing. Uh, let's go for it. You're directing me. Maybe I've put it off. I'm in. No more putting it off. Let's go. 
And maybe we don't do anything more than be a good trier. God loves to use good triers, and I really think God wants to take good triers and impact our church, impact the valley, impact the world through some good triers. Let's pray, and we'll dig into 1 Corinthians some more. Father God, thank you that you give us every human talent, opportunity, anything we need, but that you'll use us even in our lack, that we don't have to be good enough to be saved, and we can't be, that you are good enough, and we don't have to be good enough as Christians for you to use us because you're good enough. I pray that we'll stay focused on you, as Pastor John preached this morning. We'll stay encouraged. We'll stay in your work. We'll get busy allowing you to use us to impact others. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, we can be in the right place at the right time by growing past distractions. After some introductory comments in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul challenges this church at Corinth, and it really is a relevant challenge for us today as well. He says, starting in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the mind and in the same judgment. In the same mind and in the, excuse me, same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there be contentions among you, So you can see the things that are less important, distracting, even dividing and causing contention among these believers. Whereas if they would have just said, okay, God, maybe we think this and they think that and all of this, but you're most important, and just humbly seek God and to seek his wisdom, God would do it. Now, I want to share a simple illustration with you that I've heard many times, definitely not original to me, and I've heard it applied uh, in different ways, such as to a marriage. But you can imagine any two people or any two groups or any two organizations, any two anything just about, that maybe there's some distractions from the real goal, some division, even some contention there. And this could hopefully help to see how everyone can move past that and stay focused on being in the right place at the right time. Well, we're going to picture that the podium represents God. And so you can picture me over here and whoever in this made-up hypothetical situation that I'm having a problem with over there. Well, we can say, oh, they're over there and I'm over here, and we can fight on our differences and just stay so distracted from what matters most. Or we could say, okay, I'm going to humbly seek God. And we can take a step toward God. And if they do the same thing, I think you can see the illustration, what's already starting to happen. As we say, okay, maybe, man, I I don't agree with them on that, or I don't like that, or I've got a problem with that person, or what they view on this or that, but I'm going to humbly seek God and his best. And as the other person walks here, I'm getting closer and closer to that person as we're both getting closer and closer to God. That was what Paul, in so many ways, was challenging the church at Corinth, and that's the challenge for each of us as Christians and for each of us in this church, to humbly seek God, to move closer to him, and to not get distracted. It's all about God, not who gets the credit. Now, that was a statement that the Corinthian church back then really needed to take some time with, but if you're anything like me, I can try to run through some sort of mental stat sheet about myself if I'm not careful. Now I've got to stop myself or the Holy Spirit stops me and say, no, 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 that doesn't even matter. Oh, who noticed this or who noticed that or what did I get to do or what was my name? No, 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 that doesn't even matter. But if I'm not careful, it'll matter to me. It's all about God, not who gets the credit. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12 says, Now this I say, now that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. 
and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I have Christ. So they're of this pastor, or that pastor, these different speakers that had been in there, or those trying to sound super spiritual. I'm not about a man, I'm about Christ, but they really were about their view of how things should go, not about Christ specifically. Paul nails it when he says, verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's saying, hey, it's not about me. It's not about those other guys. It's all about God. I thank God in verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should think that I had baptized in my own name. He's saying, no, this isn't about me. It's not about Cephas or Peter there. It's not about Apollos. It's about God. Let's not worry about who gets the credit or which preaching style is best. Do you prefer or you fill in the blank? My, my parents' pastor has apparently run into a lot of heat on the color of the carpet in either this auditorium, not this one, but the auditorium he's currently preaching in, or the one at his previous church because he'll mention that all the time. Apparently that was a fairly divisive issue for him that he has faced as a pastor, the color of the carpet. I promise it's not lime green or anything like that. It's a normal color. I think it's red like ours. But it just the littlest things can become the biggest things, certainly in a church, but in a home, in our individual lives, we can get distracted if we're not careful. One commentary says about this passage, if we glory in men, even godly men like Peter and Paul and Apollos, we are robbing God of the glory that he alone deserves. It was this sinful attitude of pride that was helping to cause the division in the church. And Paul's saying, hey, no, it's not about that. Let's be in the right place but the right time to be used by God by moving past distractions. It's not about who gets the credit. It's all about God's message, not human approval. I'll just be honest with you. I like to be liked. Maybe you're like that too. Anybody like to be disliked? We'll all like yell at you after service or something. We'll have fun. I don't know. I won't do that, I promise. I I'm, no, won't do that. But at the same time, we like to be liked. And it's natural, but boy, we've got to put God's message and God's plan and God's approval above human approval. Divisions will often arise when we expect God to do what we think he should do with no regard for his bigger, better plan. Many a person has walked out of a church forever, walked away from God, hopefully not forever, but it has happened because God didn't play by their rules. God didn't do what they thought he should do. Let's give God more credit than we give ourselves. Um, I'm not saying I always do that, but God's doing more than we can even imagine, and he's infinitely above us. He's got such a bigger, better plan. Let's make it about his message, not human approval. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So those outside of the faith, they might not get this, that this is our, our hope and our salvation. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, human wisdom that was flawed at best, it was just wrong. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, I've probably done some really foolish preaching before. I don't know. Hopefully not. But he's saying the foolishness of preaching in that it might seem so simple and so foolish, but it's what God's going to use. He's going to use his message. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But I'm so glad that God does not have to play by our rules. He doesn't have to fit inside the box we make for him. 
It's a man named Matt Herbster. It's a really godly man that I've had the privilege to meet and uh, to hear preach on a couple of different occasions. He's risked much for the cause of Christ, and uh, he's trusted his Savior through the loss of his first wife, and while transitioning from a successful Christian camp ministry as the director to now being an international missionary. He recently posted this about 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. I think he posted it on Instagram, and it just it went perfectly with what I'm preaching on. He said, Christian, don't be surprised when you are looked at as foolish for believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Don't find yourself longing for approval among the intellectual elite. Don't be discouraged when family... Co-workers and society in general mock you for your zeal for the God of the Bible. The cross is folly to the lost, but to us it is the power of God. God has chosen us, the lowly, weak, and foolish, so none of us can boast in ourselves. Only our, our only boasting is in the crucified Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Our faith rests in his power, not man's wisdom. Jews back then that were looking for a sign, looking for something amazing that would play by their rules, they had all the proof they needed, and so do we. I mean, Jesus died and rose again, went back up to heaven. They had all the proof they needed. If we reject Jesus, it's not due to a lack of evidence. We need to get out of our own way and allow it to be about God's message. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Boy, we can be in the right place at the right time if we'll first of all grow past distraction. Not allow those less important things. It's not that they don't matter, but not allow those less important things, whatever they may be, in our own relationship with God, in our families, in our church, any of it, to become divisions, to become contentions, to even become distractions away from the most important thing. I wonder how often you or I maybe have been in the right place at the right time, but missed an opportunity completely because we were distracted and thinking about something else. Uh, you can think of, some of you uh, adults may think of teenagers who they've got a beautiful view in front of them or amazing game or whatever's going on and they're missing it because they're on their cell phone. And you might think, oh, those teens, they need to get off of their phone. Or maybe you're the adult that's on your phone and there's something amazing happening and you need to look up. At least take a picture and put it on social media on your phone. I mean, you know, at least enjoy what's there. But boy, we can miss some amazing views or amazing things on a vacation or whatever, paying attention to our phone instead. How much more in a spiritual sense can we miss what God wants to do, the opportunities he's given us to grow for him to work in our lives and then for him to work through us, no matter what human abilities or resources we have, no matter what we lack, he's enough. Secondly, we can be in the right place at the right time if we value Jesus' work. Above our own work and above the work of any other person, if we'll value what Jesus is working to do in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. 1 Corinthians 1.26 from our main text there says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's not about human intellect. It's not about human resources or position. It's all about what God can do regardless of anything we lack. You're in the right place at the right time 
right now, whether you're here in this auditorium, whether you're watching online, whether, you know, this is Sunday night, whether you watch this on Tuesday afternoon, maybe, you know, whenever you might see this, whenever you might hear this message from God's word, you're in the right place at the right time to get saved. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, what a better time. There's no better time than right now. You might not feel good enough, but that's the point. None of us is good enough to have Jesus as our Savior. Some of us have already accepted that we can't do it on our own, that we just need Jesus as our Savior. And if that's not you, you're in the right place at the right time to have Jesus save you from all of your sins and to forgive you. You might think you've done things that are too bad, but that's exactly who he came to save. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us can get there. We might feel too weak, too sinful, too this or too that, too limited, not good enough. But again, that's who God came to save. So if anything like that has ever been holding you back from accepting Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't need to hold you back. You don't have to be enough. Jesus' work on the cross is. Maybe as a Christian, you've always wanted to share the gospel, but never felt ready or able to. Maybe you know God wants you to invite a neighbor to church or to tell a coworker how Jesus saved you and can save them too, but you don't feel ready. You don't feel able. Don't count on yourself and your ability. And I've been there. I've done that. We need to instead count on God's ability. It's not about you and me being good enough. It's about God and him being good enough, and he always is. The Corinthians calling to salvation and ours as well, it was based on God's word, God's work, and God's grace, not human wisdom or ability even though those were the sorts of things they were starting to elevate. And yet these Corinthian Christians, they were now elevating those human uh, traits as the most important things in a church. Oh, our church will be successful if we have this or that. And Paul says, no, 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 you got to keep the, right, the main thing the main thing. Most important things for the Christian life, it's allowing Jesus to work. God's undeserved grace was the key to our salvation. And as Christians, it's the key to our sanctification, our daily growth, our daily usefulness as well. Let's value what Jesus wants to do in our lives and through our lives. As one man has said, the whole history of the expansion of the church is a progressive victory of the ignorant over the learned, of the, of the lowly over the lofty. First of all, let's value God's wisdom over human wisdom. Now, we've already talked about that idea some, but boy, again, you can pick any area in your lives. The specific context in 1 Corinthians 1 was that church, and again, I'm sure it applies to our church and every church as well, that we've got to guard ourselves on these things. But it's easy for me as a youth pastor, I'll just be real transparent, to think, okay, well, this idea or that idea or that idea, and man, we'd, God's work would move so much fo farther forward if I got to do that. Now, we, we should allow God to use us and to give us ideas and to give us plans, but ultimately it's God's plan. It's God's wisdom. Verse 26 describes how not many men after the flesh are called, not many wise men after the flesh are called. We may think we're smart enough to figure out how to, save, get, to be saved on our own, but we aren't. As Christians, we may think that we're smart enough to figure out how to be good enough to be used by God on our own. Corinthians, we're doing a lot of that. But God loves to take the seemingly useless and use it in great ways for his glory. And by the way, we'll talk about it more in a moment, but you might be sitting there through this entire message so far, I mean, like, now I've got some, you know, intelligence. I've got some human resources. Great. Don't stumble on those. Don't count on those. Allow God to take those and use them. And that'll be amazing. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. More often than not, and you go Google great preachers of the past, and I guarantee you, if you read very far through very many, this will prove the point. It's not the most humanly qualified 
that God ends up being able to do the most with? A lot of times it's the least. Because so many times if we have so many human qualifications and resources and wisdom, that's what we put our confidence in instead of putting it in God. My brother uh, has commented, I think more than once, and it's kind of funny to me, but uh, that some people aren't smart enough to realize that they're not smart enough about something. Now, that sounds insulting, but let's just be, it's just us here, and whoever's watching online, that's cool too. But, uh, you know, who, uh, have you ever been there? And for me, I'm not good at fixing cars. I'm good at calling Brother Terry, Brother Robbie, you know, I'm good at taking it to a place. I'm not good at fixing cars, but I could convince myself I could take that motor apart. Yeah, and I don't know enough to realize that, nope, no, I can't. You know, maybe, and I just get, I can make a mess out of it. Maybe you've been there with a home repair project. You watch the wrong YouTube video instead of the right one, and you're convinced you know what you're doing as you dive into this. Or for you, maybe it's not either of those areas, but it's something else. Maybe you really tried to help a relationship, help fix a couple of friends or something like that, uh, and you just made things worse. Guys... Yeah, we don't always know how to fix the, what's going on in our relationships as well, but we think we do, right? You know, open mouth, insert foot if you've ever been there as a husband. If you've never been there, stop lying. All right, but at the same time, sometimes we don't know enough to realize that we don't know enough, and yet we still want to move forward relying on our own wisdom. We need to be willing to ask for help when we need it. Let's seek God's wisdom, not our own. One commentary says it this way. There were those who desired to make the gospel more acceptable to the intelligentsia. Okay, this is offensive to them. <laughs> Sounds pretty familiar for our day today. This is offensive to them, so we've got to tone down the whole cross message or tone down, and again, it could be this part of the message of the Bible or that part. We've got to tone that down. It doesn't make sense to them. We've got to make the Bible more palatable so they'll like it, and we've got to change this or change that. Not God's wisdom, but our wisdom. Efforts to make, the commentator says, efforts to make the gospel more acceptable are completely misguided. There's a vast difference between God's wisdom and man's, and there is no use trying to reconcile them. As someone has said about the Apostle Paul, he was not a sign-loving Jew, nor a wisdom-loving Greek, but a Savior-loving Christian. May that be said about us. We should never limit God to what seems easy or to what we can wrap our minds around. Let's value Jesus working. Let's value God's resources over human resources. Verse 26 describes, excuse me, how not many mighty are called. Now, I will say again, it does say not many mighty. And I'm just thinking of mighty as having human resources. So whether that's, you know, financial or strength, you know, physically mighty, you can fill in a lot of different things there. It is possible for a person with a lot of wealth or other resources to get saved. But they often have to climb over the obstacle of trusting their own resources. Matthew 19, verse 23, very famous passage with that in mind, says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 25, When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible.
I hope that can be said about our lives as well, that whatever God is doing through us, certainly if you're a Christian, your salvation, this was impossible with me, but God did it. And if you're wealthy, if you have a lot of resources, that's great. Allow God to direct them according to his wisdom. Allow God to use them. Never put your confidence in them. So many people, if they have a lot of talent, a lot of money, a lot of resources, they'll think, wow, God can really use me because I have all of this. And a lot of times those are the very reasons they aren't ever used in much of a way. And you might be thinking, oh, I would never think that. But have you ever thought, wow, if those wealthy people, and you fill in the blanks, you know, famous people or whoever, those wealthy people or those really whatever resource-filled people, if they became members of our church, then we could move forward. No, God doesn't need the resources they have. God has all the resources he needs. Now, I'm all for more and more people joining our church. Absolutely. But God's not bound by what resources we have. It's possible for a Christian with a lot of resources to be used by God. But they often have to get out of their own way first and realize that it's God who needs to do the work to direct the use of those resources and to empower the eternal. I've had a lot of teachers over the years. But one that I'll always remember is a lady named Mrs. Gore, my fifth grade teacher. And I'm sure I learned a lot from her academically. I passed the fifth grade. I think I did fine in sixth grade. So I must have learned a thing or two academically, um, although I can't remember you know, specifically that long ago there. But what I remember most about Mrs. Gore was her willingness to push herself to be at our Christian school despite being terribly sick with lupus so many days. She would miss some, but so many days she was there despite her weakness, and God used her beyond her human strength and her human resources. And I had a lot of teachers with a whole lot better physical health, probably every single teacher I've ever had, every other one, than than Mrs. Gore. But that was a message and a lesson that none of the other ones taught me. God used her, her weakness, not much by way of human resources in the way of health, not much at all. God used her to teach me a valuable lesson that God can use anyone if they're just willing. She just showed up, did her best. She was a good trier and a good teacher, definitely, but doing what she could. Now, we should value God's position over human position. Verse 26 describes how not many noble are called, not many noble with those positions that can mean so much to so many. Commentator Warren Wearsby says it this way, the gospel of God's grace leaves no room for personal boasting. God is not impressed with our looks, social position, achievement, natural heritage, or financial status. Note that Paul wrote that not many, he didn't say not none, uh, were wise in the world's standing. In the New Testament, we do meet believers with high social standing, but not many. Paul's description of the converts was certainly not flattering. They were not wise, mighty, or noble. God called them not because of what they were, but despite what they were. The Corinthian church was composed primarily of ordinary people who were terrible sinners. God chose the foolish, the weak, the lowborn, and the despised to show the proud world their need and his grace. The lost world admires birth, social status, financial success, power, and recognition, but none of these attributes can guarantee eternal life. For us, when we focus on ourselves and what other people think about us, we will often care a lot about what we have and what our position is. When we focus on Jesus, we can be simply thankful that he'll use whoever we are and whatever we have to offer him. For salvation and for daily growth and service for God, we don't have to be enough. 
As Christians, to be used by God, we need to allow God enough, enough access to our lives, our wallets, our schedules, our resources, our talents, our time, any position that we have, enough opportunity to call the shots in our lives. If we'll get out of our own way, get out of the way of what God wants to do, God will do amazing things. We can be in the right place at the right time by valuing Jesus' work. And then finally, we can be in the right place at the right time if we give God all the glory, staying focused right there. Maybe you feel like you were more ready a year ago to do something for God than a year ago. You remember a year ago? It's February. A year ago, we were looking forward to wild game dinner. COVID was that crazy thing in China and California that really wasn't ever going to affect our daily lives. Or two weeks. How are we going to survive two weeks with like staying home and masks and all? That was a year ago. Maybe you felt more ready. Maybe you had more resources. Maybe you had more money, more time. Maybe you just plain had more sanity a year ago. I don't know. But it was never about us being good enough. We're ready now. We're in the right place at the right time right now for God to use us to do his purpose. The ultimate goal for every Christian, excuse me, for every Christian should be to bring God all the glory. To be used by God to bring him glory. And our opportunities and our freedom to do that has never changed and never will. We have just as much opportunity to bring God glory, maybe more than a year ago. That doesn't change. Political situations can't change that. COVID, any of that. Circumstances sometimes can make it easier where we have a bigger opportunity to give God glory, but they cannot take that away. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. If you're feeling foolish, like you don't have it all together, if you're feeling weak, right where you need to be. If you're feeling like you have some human resources, allow God to use those to his glory. Charles Ryrie has written this, God uses those who would commonly be considered foolish, weak, and of no consequence to convey his message. If we think that we aren't good enough to be used by God, we're ready. That's a good place to be. If you're like, man, I would love to do something for God, but I just don't know. If I can't, I don't know if I go to witness, if I'm going to have all the right words. I'm not feeling like, it's, like I'm good enough. Perfect. Still say yes to God. He'll use you in some amazing ways. As 1 Corinthians 1.27 describes, God uses the foolish and the weak. He can, we can't. And that's the point. It's been said that the more primitive the material the greater the honor of the master if the same standard of art can be reached. The smaller the army, the mightier the praise of the conqueror if the same great victory can be won. And God loves to take people who are just willing to allow him to use whatever, he, whatever we have for his honor and glory. You might think your story could never be used by God. Maybe you've heard people share their testimonies and they went from the gutter and God used them to do some amazing things. You know, God brought them up and, and saved them and he made them use, do some amazing things through them for his glory and honor. And you're like, well, I can't share my testimony. It's not the same story. Uh, by the way, there's probably someone who has almost the exact same story as you. Been in ministry a little while, worked with teens and kids and adults and found that a lot. But allow God to use your story. Allow God to use whatever resources you have. Uh, I think it was for their birthdays or else Valentine's Day. The girl's uncle got them each this game where it's a little can and it's got six dice in it. 
and each die has something on it on each side that you're going to put together into a story. So you roll it out, and it's random. It's really fun to play with five and a six-year-old. It really is. But uh, it might be a tornado, and then a dragon. Uh, Brooklyn would love that. And then you know a castle and a princess. And you got to try to put each piece together into a story. Um, I, I have fun with it. I'll admit. I don't know if I'm any good at it or not. But the girls hearing them tell their stories, they've taken like minutes. They've gone on for a long time using those stories. Man, allow God to take whatever your dice look like, whatever your story looks like, whatever your background, whatever your resources, and allow him to use it to spread his gospel. Allow him to use it to spread his glory. Allow him to use it to help win the lost and to bring him glory wherever we go. Your story might look a lot different from mine. Your story might look different from anybody else in here. Maybe it looks like similar to several. I don't know. Allow God to use whatever your story looks like to impact people and to bring him glory. Closed doors in our lives run into a lot of them lately, but they aren't stop signs. I realize that a lot of the ways that you might have been serving or looking forward to serve a year ago might not be there. Maybe you were so eager to get back to being able to help in VBS and we're still hoping for this summer. But maybe you were even signed up to go on that Brazil missions trip. Or maybe this past summer, yeah, you were hoping to go, or this next summer, and a lot of those things are closed doors. God is telling us maybe to detour, but those closed doors are not stop signs. God has a plan. Let's keep moving forward for him, for his glory and honor. And if we're rejected by people, but bringing glory to God... It's a good sign we're in the right place. Pastor John mentioned that if we're not running into any sort of opposition, it might be that we're not doing much for the cause of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.28, Apostle Paul says this, And the base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught or nothing, things that are. God called these people, chose them. He used them beyond their human capabilities for his plan and his glory. No one that was looking at their lives fairly in an unbiased way could deny God's using them. I hope that's true for us as well. 1 Corinthians 1.29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence, verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. As one commentator has said, some Corinthians may have placed their confidence in their rhetorical skills or spiritual gifts. Paul challenges them to depend on God's work in the cross rather than their self-sufficiency. I'll picture it like this. You picture a cup. thought about bringing a cup, but it's just a cup. You know what a cup looks like. If it's full of water, you can't put any more in. A deep truth, I know. I mean, you know, I'm a deep guy. What can I say? But if it's full of water, you can't put any more in. But if you pour the water out, you can put more water in. Ask yourself what your life looks like spiritually. Are you full of yourself and your own confidence and your resources to where God can't really put any more of himself in? Or are you willing to die to self, to empty yourself of what you have confidence in apart from God and to say, okay, God, fill me with you. I want it to be like my girls, if they get a cup of marshmallows, they're like smushing them down in. Oh, Daddy, I can fit more. And they want to smush them down in. That's what I want. I want to be empty, allow God to push in as much as he wants, as much as he can into my life. We can be in the right place at the right time if we give God all the glory. John 4, verse 35 says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The need is there. 
just like it was a year ago, probably even stronger now. The hunger and desire is there. Now, it might not always look like people are hungry for God. It might look like they're running after the world in this way or that way, but there's a hunger for God. I recently saw on a real lighter note, uh, Brother Greg's not here, so I'll pick on him. I recently saw on Facebook that a week or two ago, he ate a piece of broccoli. I mean, we should all be very proud of Brother Greg Snyder. I mean, he ate a piece of broccoli. He might not always realize that that's what's best for him, that that's what's good for him in a dietary sense. Apparently, Miss Angie tries. I mean, you know, she does what she can. But, uh, I mean, he ate a piece of broccoli. The, the desire might not have seemed like it was there, but it was. All joking aside, at the same time, boy, there are people who need the Lord, and I think they know it. More and more are realizing it right now because there's less and less to have our confidence in. I've seen God do some amazing things through me, but through others as well during this last year, and I hope you have as well. We may think we're no match for what we're going through, but what we're going through is no match for our great Savior. Let's allow him to use us to spread the gospel and bring him glory. Let's allow God to work in us, no matter who we are and where we are spiritually each day, no matter what human resources we have or lack. Let's allow God to work in our lives and to work in, our, in um, others' lives through us as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being willing to use people just like us, whether we have a lot or a little, that you want to use us. I pray that anywhere we need to just get out of our own way and let you work, that we will. Pray for anyone in here, anyone watching, anyone maybe even in the, the days or weeks to come who might stumble across this live stream even, that they will realize that they're not good enough, that we're not good enough, to get to heaven on our own, that we need you for salvation. And then as Christians, I pray that our confidence will be in you. There's a great need. There's a lot that needs to be done, and we're burdened for other people. We're burdened for areas of our own lives. But I pray that our confidence will be in you and what you want to do and what you're capable of. So many times we aren't enough, whether we realize it or not, but I pray that we'll keep moving forward for you because you're enough. We thank you. I pray that you'll bless our week ahead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.